Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Merkin fool, like Squirtle and Kate Boo. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about personal experience and external validation. I've been thinking about the scientific method. I've been thinking about the structure of cells and the structure of the universe. I've been thinking about energy and how we measure what's true by what we can verify with our senses and our historical perspective, and how sometimes we can simply trust the fact that we know something is authentic because we feel it exists just as we live and breathe. My guest today is Dr. Shin Lin. Dr. Lin has a PhD in biological chemistry from UCLA and is a professor of developmental and cell biology at the School of Biological Sciences, professor of biomedical engineering at the Henry Samili School of Engineering, and professor of psychology and biophysics at the School of Medicine at the University of California, Irvine. His research interests include complementary and alternative medicine, mind-body signaling, qigong, tai chi, acupuncture, and exercise physiology. His accomplishments in science, medicine, and mastery of Chinese martial arts and mind-body practices are too numerous to list. It would take up the entire show. I tried to figure out how to get more, and I thought that'll be the show. As are his many awards, publications, and presentations. He is currently the founding director of the Laboratory of Mind-Body Energy and Signaling Research. Welcome, Dr. Lennon. Thank you so much for joining us on That Got Me Thinking. Yes, uh, glad to be here. So let's start with your background and your education in science. Um, where did that begin? What, what drew you to medicine and science? Was that something you were interested in as a child? Uh, yes, very much so. Uh, I started with a bachelor's degree in chemistry at UC Davis and uh, then got me into more biological, so biological chemistry at UCLA at the School of Medicine. And then I did a postdoctoral training period uh, at the Department of Biophysics and Biochemistry at UC San Francisco. So I'm a product of the University of California system. That's how I got started. And what, what, what about science did you like? Do you remember liking it as a child? Did you want to figure out how things worked? Or did you like putting things together and seeing what happened? Um, I was quite interested in medicine, as a matter of fact. Uh, but then uh, basic research uh, appealed to me a little bit more. So because of the curiosity angle, and so I got into the PhD track. And um, was studying in the state studying science, was it different from the approach and attitude toward um, science and also especially towards the mind-body connection in China? Um, well, I came to the United States as a teenager, so I wasn't exposed to the educational system in China. Um, but if you want to compare traditional Chinese medicine with uh, Western medicine, I, you know, that's uh, one of my specialties. Well, we can talk about it a little bit. And definitely, I, I familiarized myself with some of the studies that you did at the um, Hong Kong University. And is it still very distinctive? Um, would you say Western medicine, the approach to Western medicine and that of historical Chinese medicine? Well, there's historical Chinese medicine that has a completely different um, language and principles and so forth. Um, since the 50s, uh, what is now regarded as uh, 
or referred to as traditional Chinese medicine, um, the universities and colleges for traditional Chinese medicine actually has the students taking courses in anatomy, pharmacology, physiology, and so forth. Uh, but I would say the fundamental principles of uh, Chinese medicine are very different from um, what we know uh, in terms of Western medicine. And where would you say your natural affinity lies? Are, are you most interested in combining the two? Uh, my interest is to use my expertise uh, in Western medicine, Western biomedical research. Uh, I was uh, chairman of biophysics at Johns Hopkins for 20-some years before coming to UC Irvine. Uh, so I have a lot of um, knowledge in terms of instrumentation, technologies, and so forth. And uh, I'm in a position to use these technologies to study how Chinese medicine, mind-body practices uh, would benefit the body. Um, not many people have you know, the expertise on both sides. I'm also trained in Chinese medicine, acupuncture, and Tai Chi, and all of these things. So it puts me in a good position to utilize my Western knowledge to try to understand Eastern philosophy and Eastern principles of the Chinese medicine. An extremely unique position because it's not just knowledge, but you're an expert in, in both of those areas. Yes. You're also an internationally known expert on the multidisciplinary studies on the regulation of cellular structure and movement of normal and cancer cells. What did your research in that area focus on, and what did you discover? Uh, that was um, work... Um, from the 1970s to to about 15 years ago. I no longer do that. I phased that out. Um, that was trying to understand at the cellular level how cells move around, how they have uh, a structure. So the structure I was studying is called the cytoskeleton, uh, like the skeleton of the cells. Um, you know, how these structures, uh, unlike the structures in the body, you know, our bone structure is completely rigid and stable. Uh, Western cells that are moving around, uh, these structures are assembled and disassembled and assembled and disassembled to suit the needs of the cells. And um, what are the signals? What are the mechanisms? And then in cancer cells, how come their structure is so different uh, from normal cells? Uh, what are the signals that make them you know, go haywire, so to speak? So uh, we publish a lot of papers and uh, very highly cited papers in those areas. Uh, some are published in Nature, Science, uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and so forth. So uh, that's the work that uh, uh, in a lot of textbooks. I can imagine down the road that your work and experience now might find a link to that work as well, that the effects of energy on, on the cells and on normal cells and cancer cells might be a, a eureka moment down the line. Yes, actually. Um, on my sabbatical to Hong Kong, I collaborated with uh, scientists at the uh, City University of Hong Kong, and uh, we are now just publishing a paper uh, is coming out any time on how um, electrical energy could affect cellular movement and their skeleton. I'm thinking about, we might talk about it later, but I'm thinking about the Japanese scientist Emoto and his 
Masaru Emoto and his um, work he did on changing the water on the cellular level. And so maybe there'll be some link to, to that and human cells. So I want to talk a little bit about your education and experience in the Chinese martial arts so we can kind of lay the groundwork for how those two parts of your life and the rest of our lives fit together um, and mind-body energy. When did you start studying martial arts? Was that when you were living in China or once you came to the United States? Um, I was a, a young teenager in Hong Kong at the time, and um, Bruce Lee was my contemporary. And um, I started studying and training in uh, what's called the Wing Chun style that uh, Bruce Lee. So we were uh, fellow students training under the same master, although not exactly at the same time. And I uh, started there. And for the rest of my life, um, uh, to this day, I still practice many types of uh, Chinese martial arts. Uh, these are separate from the health aspects of Tai Chi and Qigong. Uh, these are for self-defense and fighting, and um, that's uh, another part of my interest. Many styles and an and, and expert in them as well. So any thoughts of becoming a movie star and following the steps of Bruce Lee or <laughs> science was too big of a pull? No, uh, my life as a professor is keeping me busy enough. And so Hong Kong at that time was not China. Is that right? So I, I keep saying China, but that's inaccurate. If you grew up in Hong Kong, you were actually not. That's correct. Yes, it was a British crown colony. So let's shift our focus a little bit to the martial arts and especially to Tai Chi and Qigong. Um, I saw a short video you did where you were talking about Tai Chi and the 108 movements, but you had mentioned the idea that you know maybe for some people... Um, you didn't need to do all, all 108, but maybe like the, the uh, few done repetitively might have uh, the effect that some people were looking for. So maybe if you could just talk a little bit about Tai Chi, what it is, and how it's done. Okay, so first of all, um, the terminology here. Uh, Qigong is a, a name for a very, very diverse family of mind-body practices coming out from China. And uh, just about every other one except Tai Chi um, is a, a system of uh, movements uh, that are purely for enhancing health. Now, Tai Chi is uh, unique among the, the Qigong uh, varieties in that it started out as martial arts. So the reason why Tai Chi has so many different movements is... Um, one is to just train the body, it's for training uh, physically, the muscles, the tendons, the bones, and so forth. And secondly, uh, numerous techniques to, you know, when you encounter punches and kicks and, you know, blocks and all that, uh, what do you do? So you have all these different movements that are not really designed for enhancing health. So uh, the idea that we're working on is that we could use laboratory experiments to see which movements can benefit the mind and the body the most. And so maybe if you just do uh, one movement 20 times, maybe that's better than doing 20 different movements one time. Uh, we can go into the, the science behind that. 
We we definitely will. And just before we head that way, um, you mentioned there being a cultural aspect of the Tai Chi. And I was thinking about also the difference with that martial art, with Tai Chi um, versus many of the other martial arts where the movements are much uh, quicker. Is there something about the slowness to Tai Chi um, that's connected with its, with its effectiveness or its purpose? That's a very important question. Um, when Western people think of Tai Chi, they think of like old people in the park practicing at very slow rates and so forth. So how, that, how can that be a self-defense system? Uh, what they don't understand is that Tai Chi started 400 years ago in the Chan family village in central China as martial arts. And it is the embodiment of the whole Tai Chi principle. Um, when you look at the Tai Chi, um, the Tai Chi diagram, you, know, you see the black swirl and the white swirl. And inside the black, there's a white circle. Inside the white, there's a black circle. So Tai Chi, you know, the term Tai Chi doesn't just refer to what we think of as this type of mind-body exercise. It's a whole philosophy that means um, uh, perfect harmony of yin and yang, the white and the black, um, yin and yang. And you look at the diagram, you see from within the yin comes the yang, from the yang comes the yin. And within the yin, there's yang, and within the yang, there's yin. So Tai Chi, as a mind-body practice, originating in China, uh, has certainly the slow, soft movements, but mixed in with explosively fast and hard punches and kicks and so forth. So it's the embodiment of the Tai Chi principle. Now, that's like 20 generations ago. Uh, only four generations ago, uh, there's a man called uh, Yang Lu Chan, Mr. Yang. Uh, he came to the Chen family village, learned the Tai Chi, and then uh, started out the practice uh, himself uh, in Beijing. And his clients were more the, the royalty, the rich people, and so forth. Uh, people who don't want, to, who didn't want to walk up a, a sweat, and they have bodyguards certainly. So he simplified the whole system and took away all the hard movements, the fast movements, and all that's left is uh, the soft, slow movement. So it's like, you know, it's a type and no chi. Uh, and it became like a self-fulfilling thing that old people say, oh, well, I could do the slow stuff. You know, I could do this. Uh, so the, the image is correct. You know, you see many older people you know, in the park doing the slow movements of Tai Chi. That's actually half of Tai Chi. The real Tai Chi is the Chen style Tai Chi, the original Tai Chi, and it has uh, fast movements mixed in with the slow ones and the hard ones and the soft ones and so forth. That's a long answer to your question. No, it's a perfect answer. When you're practicing it, is do you practice the Chen style? Um, I had the great fortune to uh, train for the past 15 years with the grandmaster of the Chen style from the village, the Chen family village. But I also had the great fortune to uh, train with the great-grandson of Mr. Yang, who started the Yang style, the slow style. And so I know both styles uh, very, very well.
I remember reading, I don't remember where I read it, but that the, and it must have been the Chen style of Tai Chi masters who were, you know, really the most badass of, of the bunch of the martial arts experts. And maybe because they were combining the two elements. It's like, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, but it, it always makes me think of the force. They were using the force. Um, I don't know about that in novels and movies. But the fact of the matter is, um, uh, in the past several years, uh, the mixed martial arts champion of China, uh, sponsored by, you know, in the competition tournament sponsored by CCTV, the winner is from the Chan style Tai Chi. So, you know, as a fighting style, it's extremely effective, as you can see. And so um, let's talk a little bit about the... Well, first, let's talk about your lab. So um, your laboratory for mind, body signaling and energy resources. Uh, the focus of your current work is on the effects of Qigong and Tai Chi and how these effects compare to those produced by physical exercise, heat treatment, massage therapy, acupuncture and topical herbal medicine. You hope that your research will accelerate the integration of these therapies with Western medicine for enhancing whole person health and healing. Let's talk a little bit about the um, maybe the obvious and not so obvious benefits of um, elevating your your um, chi energy and that vital energy, and maybe a little bit about what that is. Well, when I um, came to UC Irvine, uh, I came uh, to I was recruited to be the dean of the School of Biological Sciences. So I have uh, I had a free hand in terms of what to do in my own research, and I had the opportunity to combine my two interests, you know, my biological biomedical research. Uh, with my interest in Tai Chi and Qigong, uh, whereas when I was at Johns Hopkins, uh, that, that's not something that I would have the opportunity to do. So I looked around, I traveled all around China and talked to a lot of people in the United States. And um, at that point already, uh, there was no question that Tai Chi is a, an excellent physical exercise. Uh, lots of people have done clinical trials showing that uh, Tai Chi is good for the muscles and cardiovascular, it'll lower your cholesterol and all of that. It'll prevent falls because it builds up muscles that are necessary for not falling and so forth. Uh, but what is missing uh, is still answers to the question of uh, you know, what is Qi, uh, you know, the ancient concept of vital energy. Um, so our laboratory started uh, to ask that question, what is qi and how does tai chi, qigong, enhance qi? And the uh, same goes for different types of uh, Chinese medical therapies. So that, that's uh, the, still the central um, uh, question that we're trying to answer rather than as an exercise, you know, physical exercise. The question you were you were clear about, and it seems very uh, succinct and specific. Then the next step about going about how to figure that out. What did that process look like? Well, first of all, uh, the concept of qi, which is spelled Q-I, is a different word from Tai Chi, which is C-H-I. Those are different words. So the concept of qi, vital energy. Uh, it's pervasive in all cultures. Uh, in India, it would be called uh, prana. You know, in 
Japan and Korea is called Ki, you know, Ki. So in many, many cultures, it seems like, you know, people believe that living things have a, a special type of energy in them. And uh, um, things that are not alive do not have this energy. And that concept, uh, that concept goes back, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago when people didn't really have much of a knowledge of uh, what energy as we know it, you know, uh, light, uh, electricity, and heat, and so forth. So, chi is uh, more of a personal feeling uh, rather than something that uh, is scientifically defined. So, I often tell my students that um, if you ask what chi is, I would say it's a somewhat equivalent to asking, you know, what is love? Your know, love is a feeling, you know, you know you love somebody or somebody doesn't love you and you feel good about it. Yeah, but you, you don't have a love meter you can buy to measure that any more than you can buy a, a chi meter <clears throat> to measure chi because it's not scientifically defined. So um, we started out making the assumption that, well, it is a type of energy. So let's measure, you know, energy that we can measure, heat, light, electricity. Maybe they are part of uh, what is known as chi, because uh, oftentimes, you know, when your body feels warm, your hands are warm, uh, people say, oh, you've had a lot of chi. You know, your, your face is like, you know, nice complexion, nice and reddish. And, Oh, it, you know, I can see the chi on your face. So we started asking the question of uh, if we measure body energy, energy emitted from the body as heat, as light, as electricity, um, does that type of energy change after you practice Tai Chi and Qigong? Or if you get acupuncture or get massage or get, you know, to topical medicine put on you, will these parameters that we can measure, would that change? And the answer, short answer is yes. It's not that simple. But uh, these, these uh, you know, heat, light, electricity emitted from the body would increase. So it's consistent with uh, the idea of like when you do these things, your chi would go up. So I want to go back a step quickly just to um, further explain, because it's completely news to me, the idea that qi in tai chi didn't mean um, that elevating that type of vital energy. So what does the word qi in tai chi mean? Um, qi, that word in the dictionary means uh, ultimate. It's a different word, ultimate. So the whole concept of tai chi is the ultimate state of harmony of yin and yang. So more, more focused on the balance. It's not the ultimate balance. Ultimate balance would be simple. You would have a, a symbol where you have a circle that's half black, half white. That's ultimate balance. But it's a, ultimate harmony. So when you look at the Tai Chi symbol, you know, it's not half white, half black. You know, you, you have this swirling and you have the black within the white and white within the black and so it's a perfect harmony so when you practice tai chi uh, you don't like you know do slow movements for five minutes 
and then do fast movements for five minutes, that, that would be perfect balance. Uh, no, the movements are like intermix, you know, hard and soft and slow and fast, and one comes after another. And within the hardness, there's softness, and within the softness, there's hardness, and so forth. So they're integrated. So it's a it's a very a very you know complicated and sophisticated style of uh, tai chi of, of uh, self defense as well as uh, health enhancement. Much more representative of life and existence, right? The harmony versus it's not balanced. Yes, that's exactly so. Uh, not just life, but just uh, simply our body. Our body has hard bones. We have soft muscles, of soft tissues, and um, everything is, you know, has to be in balance. Um, you know, your immune system. You don't want it too high. Autoimmune. If it's too low, you get sick. Uh, you have your you know, sympathetic system, the fight and flight response, and you have your parasympathetic, uh, relax and digest. And you can't just have one or the other. Things have to be well harmonized. Uh, so inflammation, the same thing. Everything in your body is Tai Chi in, in principle. I did a uh, interview recently with a neuroscientist who were talking about stress and the um, cells in the hippocampus, and that was where, kind of where we ended up, that there had to be some stress, but the right kind of stress and not too much and, and um, harmony between. So let's go back a little bit to your... Yeah, but it, actually, that, that is something that we are very interested in, that in the hippocampus, you have excitatory cells and inhibitory cells. And the thing that's relevant to our research is that it's been shown by our colleagues uh, in at UC San Diego that when you do physical exercises, you increase the number of cells in the hippocampus. And uh, some of those cells could inhibit the stress response. And some of those cells could improve your memory. That's great. So if you do only like you know slow movements or sit there and meditate, you're not going to get that uh, benefit. When you do moving meditation, which Tai Chi is referred to, then you actually build up those cells as well, not just uh, the psychological side. Uh, just as a side, since you brought it up. Absolutely, um, right, right on track. Uh, let's talk a little bit about and a little more depth about the research model. And so you guys created uh, biological or needed, you knew there was a need for biological or surrogate markers to be able to measure and quantify. So that was sort of the first step as to what were these things you're going to measure. And then it seemed like you had to go about creating um, equipment or pulling equipment from other areas of science to be able to then measure what it was you were trying to quantify. Yes. Um... So, you know, first, the quick answer is if, it, if these parameters are easy to measure, then people would have done it already. So the first thing is uh, to measure warmth, you know, heat emitted by the body. Well, that's simple. Uh, there are very sensitive, but very expensive infrared cameras um, that are used for all sorts of purposes. So we acquired one of these. You know, we could determine... Uh, any part of your body down to a tenth of a degree centigrade. Next is your body puts out light. Well, um, your body puts out bluish green light that's referred to as biophotons, uh, but very, very few of these. 
So a typical light bulb would be putting out like a million photons per second. Uh, if I measure light coming from your hand, you're talking about maybe 10 photons per second. So you cannot run to a camera shop and buy a light meter and see you know, how much light the person is putting out before and after Tai Chi and Qigong practice. So we actually built a, a whole system so-called single photon counting. We can count down to single photons. So if your hand is putting out 10 photons before and 15 photons after Tai Chi, that's a 50% jump. Uh, but you need to count single photons to see that difference. So we had to do that. Uh, next, um, you know, your body puts out electricity, but electricity can be defined as uh, electrical charge, you know, electrons coming out, electrical flow, you know, conductance, uh, electrical field, the DC electric field. So for each of these, we have to have unique devices to measure them. These are not things you can just go out and buy. Uh, so we are very keen on uh, uh, the device that's um, something provided by the um, California Institute uh, for Human Sciences uh, down here in, near San Diego. We've been working with them for 15 years. And um, they develop a device where you can measure the flow of electrons between one acupuncture point and another acupuncture point. So that is the flow of electricity. And we're very interested in that, and we can explore that in a second. Let's, and I also want to talk a little bit about um, one of the studies that you mentioned in one of your videos, uh, Princeton University neuroscientist Barry Jacobs, and that they did on cats. And I liked your explanation that the humans wouldn't want this done on them, but that they were able to study the repetitive motion that cats produce during grooming and this very concentrated repetitive motion. And the idea that the combination of concentration, focus, and repetition, and then the results of that in the increase of of serotonin and neural activity. Yes, um, that is something I just barely touched on at the beginning of the interview. So uh, they put electrodes into the brainstem of the cat so they can't do it to people uh, because and the brainstem uh, has a very high concentration of serotonin brain cells, serotonin neurons. And they put the you know, the electrodes into all these cats and then watch what they do uh, and then look at the recordings. And uh, the two main conclusions. One is when they do repetitive things like uh, walking on a treadmill uh, or um, um, grooming themselves. You know, they, you know, cats like to groom themselves. That's a rep very repetitive and concentrated movement. Uh, the serotonin neuronal activity could go up to like 40-fold compared to just sitting there doing nothing. And the other thing is um, when the cats get into a deep breathing mode, uh, they induce a deep breathing by putting the cats in the chamber and just increase the CO2 concentration by just uh, you know 4%, 8%, and the cats will naturally breathe deeper breath. And when that happens, uh, the serotonin neuronal activity also goes up. And, of course, uh, we know that serotonin is um, linked to, you know, good mood, uh, 
but it actually has a lot of other things as well, you know, other effects as well. It's linked to uh, digestion, to good sleep, to good brain function. So to be able to elevate your serotonin in the brain without taking medicine like Prozac and things with a lot of side effects is a tremendous uh, useful thing to do. So at the beginning of the interview, when you asked me about Tai Chi, you know, 100 different movements, and I said, yeah, we're studying. If you do only two or three or four of these movements uh, 20 times, 30 times, that's a repetitive thing. And you can trigger this serotonin effect uh, in a way that you do not if you practice 108 different movements one time. So uh, that's how, you know, this question is linked to something you mentioned before. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk about what you've found so far with your research. Um, This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking, and I'm speaking to University of California, Irvine professor, Dr. Shin Lin. We'll be back in just a moment. Stick with us. This is KDPI 88.5 FM, Ketchum. All right, we're back, and we're just talking about his new... um, lab and the the studies that they've been conducting. And um, I just want to quote, research shows that Qigong Tai Chi practices can produce measurable and reproducible changes, physiological and bioenergy markers. Many of these changes can be explained by increased blood flow and conscious control of the automatic nervous system. And some of these changes can be produced by acupuncture therapy. So in this next half, I want to talk a little bit about, maybe we'll start with um, blood flow and why blood flow is so important and what's come from starting to measure it um, when it's linked with the the idea of, of raising and elevating chi. Well, just now, <clears throat> I was talking about uh, measuring heat, light, electricity, uh, DC electric field and the flow of electricity from acupuncture point to acupuncture point. Uh, these are pretty esoteric type of measurements. So we need to like tie these to more conventional uh, measurements. So in our laboratory, we also measure um, EEG, you know, brainwave patterns. We measure ECG, um, heart rate. Uh, we use that data to analyze uh, the balance between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic systems, uh, what's called heart rate variability measurements. Um, we measure muscle movements, called EMG. So we do all of these things that are quite commonly measured by Western biomedical scientists. But most exciting is uh, when we started to use uh, laser Doppler to measure blood flow at different parts of the body, uh, we discovered something for the very first time uh, that's very exciting. So going back, uh, we were thinking about qi. You know, that's a thing, that's a term that's thousands of years old. Um, you know, you cannot just do one thing to measure qi. And uh, we started with, as I said, measuring these uh, biomarkers. Uh, but then when we go back to like the Yellow Emperor's classic medical text from 2000 years ago, there's a very fundamental principle there. Uh, it's 
says that uh, blood is the mother of chi. The mother of chi, you know, not the sister or the brother or father. Blood is the mother of chi. Uh, there are also other sayings that are like, you know, where the intention goes, so goes the chi, so goes the blood. So in many different examples uh, coming out from traditional Chinese medicine or historical or classical Chinese medicine, there's this concept that qi and blood are very tightly as you know associated. So when we measure these um, energy markers, at the same time, we also measure blood flow to see whether blood flow is correlated to changes in these energy states. Uh, so a uh, laser Doppler instrument uh, is a, a pretty common you know, instrument used in research laboratories and in uh, burn centers in the hospitals and so forth. Uh, it reads the, the flux of blood, the perfusion of blood that you can measure non-invasively at skin level and you can put the probe in any part of your body. So we started to measure um, blood flow on the palm of the hand and electrical flow at like seven different acupuncture points of the hand. And we found that when you practice uh, a simple Tai Chi exercise called the silk reeling exercise, which is pretty much like the hand goes in a circle, you know, up and down, up and down. <clears throat> and what happens is, um, you know, when your hand comes down, uh, gravity is helping the, the heart, you know, pump the blood because you know, gravity is pulling the blood. Uh, so blood flow goes up. When your head, hand goes up to the high position, like the 12 o'clock position, then the heart has to, like the hand is above the head now. So the heart has to pump blood against gravity and blood flow on the hand slows down. So at 12 o'clock, is slow at six o'clock is the fastest. So we can see these peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys in terms of changes in blood flow. Now, if you average out the blood flow during this exercise, um, blood flow is actually like 100% faster than uh, when you're just sitting there doing nothing. But what is amazing is <clears throat> we found that Excuse me. Yes. What is amazing is when we look at the flow of electrons using this uh, specialized instrument, the flow of electrons from acupuncture point on the hand to uh, another acupuncture point, you know, lower on the arm, the blood flow and the electrical flow are completely in sync that when the blood flow goes up, it's a peak and comes down, it's a valley, uh, the electrical flow follows that pattern, follows that pattern. So we said, wow, this is uh, you know, totally consistent with the concept of a tight association with blood flow and electrical flow. But then when you stop the movements, the blood flow within seconds comes back to um, normal, to the baseline. But the electrical flow, you know, the peaks and valleys are not just peaks and valleys. They actually go up and up like climbing stairs. 
So when you stop the movement, uh, your electrical flow is at a higher level. So if you measure the electrical flow at baseline before you start Tai Chi and after, it's much higher and it stays high. So we say, ah, okay, um, blood is the mother of cheese. So the blood is like moving and moving and it's helping the energy to go up to a higher level. So it's like bringing a child up. And when the child is grown up, then you don't need the mother anymore. And the mother can leave and the child is already at a higher level. So that's completely consistent with the whole idea that blood is the mother of chi. So, uh, of course, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm just making a joke that, uh, you know, a lot of mothers, uh, you know, what we call helicopter moms who never let go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and how did you find that that compared with a very strenuous exercise like bicycling or lifting very heavy weights? Yeah. So that is something that's also very interesting. Um, when we do these Tai Chi movements, we always compare them to like doing physical exercises and so forth. Uh, in fact, the best paired experiment is to compare if you do the slow movements of Tai Chi repetitively for 20 minutes and on a different day uh, have the same person do the fast movements of Tai Chi for 20 minutes, we find that after doing the fast Tai Chi, uh, these energy markers actually come down or they don't go up as much because there you're expanding energy, using energy to like, you know, punch and kick and so forth. Whereas uh, the slow movements are to, you know, to nurture and to get more energy. And the other ones are you are using up energy. And so our measurements are consistent with that as well. So let's talk a little bit about um, the center at UC Irvine, the Susan Samele, and, and tell me how to pronounce her name. Samele? Samele? Uh, Samuel. Samueli. Samueli. The Samueli Center um, for Integrative Medicine. Um, what are they focused on there, and how is your research being connected with what's going on? Okay, the, the center is a much broader organization uh, with um, you know, a dozen or more professors in, you know, working there. Um, it's not a building that we're all in. We, we're organized uh, as a center. Um, so... There are professors working on uh, the basic mechanism of acupuncture, for instance, how acupuncture is just so effective in lowering high blood pressure and so forth. Uh, there are people studying, like, um, you know, uh, different herbal medicine that would have different effects. Uh, so that's the, and, and in my research, uh, I, as I was talking about, uh, it has an educational component. You know, we have, uh, seminars, workshops, and we go to uh, different hospitals and clinics, uh, you know, in the so-called Orange County, South Southern California uh, region. And then uh, perhaps uh, most relevant to your question is uh, we have a clinic. It's an integrated clinic with uh, a dozen healthcare providers. Um, it's headed by an MD, a medical doctor, and there are people there who are acupuncturists. There are people who are doctor of naturopathy. There are dieticians. There are massage therapists, all under one roof. So 
so that uh, when patients come in, uh, they get evaluated and uh, they get treated with whatever you know alternative complementary therapies that would help in addition to Western medicine therapy. So you you and your research have figured out what you wanted, the question you wanted to answer. You then figured out what you needed to measure, and then you created machines to measure it, which is impressive just on its own. But in this last quarter of the show, I want to talk about with what you found, how applicable it is to health and a um, stronger mind and body. There was a... Um, experiment that you talked about also in one of your videos, um, Brian Jones in Hong Kong, St. Mary's Hospital, uh, raising the cortisol or lowering the cortisol level and um, measuring the number of white blood cells with, and I was, I believe with, with cancer patients or anti-inflammatory hormone response with a 14 weeks of practice. And so I want to start there and then I want to talk about sleep and aging in the brain. Okay. Well, um, the Harvard Medical School has a website, and it says uh, Tai Chi is often referred to as um, meditation in movement, but it might as well be called medication in movement, in, in motion, medication in motion, because of all the clinical trials showing how valuable it is as a treatment for so many different diseases. So when you go see a doctor, the doctor diagnose what's your problem and then prescribe a certain medicine. Um, so we're trying to do the same thing here. So if there are over 100 different movements in Tai Chi, well, when people have like depression, then, you know, I would suggest that person do more repetitive, you know, Tai Chi exercises because it would boost the serotonin in the brain. Um, if a person cannot sleep, you know, uh, same treatment would be good. Same intervention would be good. But if a person has, uh, you know, lower back pain, you know, then uh, that repetitive exercise wouldn't be the prescription. So we would prescribe to that person certain exercises that would strengthen the lower back pain, the lower back muscles, particularly. And then recent research shows that stretching is uh, anti-pain, anti-inflammation. So we would like, you know, use uh, electromyography measurements to see which movements would uh, utilize the lower back muscle the most. And we would prescribe that to the patient. So we're, we're pinpointing, you know, the benefits of different um exercises uh, for different people suffering from different problems. But then, of course, uh, uh, Tai Chi is a health enhancement, health maintenance ex exercise as well. So we reduce like a hundred you know, different movements down to uh, a dozen movements that will give you all around you know, benefits in terms of uh, strengthening your bones, strengthening your muscles, strengthening your tendons. Uh, exercise both your fast muscle fibers and your slow muscle fibers and also calm you down, make you sleep better. And you only need to do like maybe a dozen of these repetitively. Well, let's dig a little deeper there because not only does it calm you down and help you to sleep better, but there's some 
extreme complexity that's going on there as far as value because you compared it to sleep you know is this just that oh it feels nice and kind of calms you down and reduces stress and the research that you did comparing the elevation of the chi to sleep showed that there was a lot more going on than is when you're in the majority of your sleep but that it's similar to what happens at that middle of the night sleep where you really is affecting your all three of your types of brain waves yes um, so the question is, um, how is meditation different or better than going to sleep? And our research showed that using EEG, electroencephalography, uh, and what's called heart rate variability, uh, computer analysis of your heart rate, it shows that an experienced person experiencing meditation can get into a very, very deep restful state within a minute or two. When you go to sleep, you have to go, you have to go through stage one, stage two, stage three. Stage, it'll take you an hour or two or three to get into a really deep restful state. So you can say that meditation, whether you're moving or just sitting there, could get you into a very deep, deep restful state within a minute or two. So um, to put it in you know, everyday terms, uh, if you go take a, uh, a nap of 20 minutes, uh, it wouldn't do you as much good as if you do Tai Chi for 20 minutes because you're right there. You immediately get into very deep, deep uh, rest. And also we... Confirm that by using what's called photon migration spectroscopy. We showed that uh, when the brain is in a meditative state, uh, the utilization of oxygen drops precipitously. So the brain is really resting. You're not using the brain burning up um, oxygen. We can measure that very quickly. And the EEG signal shows that your brain goes into this state where you have these so-called alpha waves and theta waves going very, very high. But you also have the bonus of uh, seeing the beta waves go very, very high. Beta waves are indicative of a person who's deeply thinking. So, you know, you are sharpening your brain at the same time as you're getting deep sleep. So you have a deep rest. So you have two benefits at the same time. And our colleagues at uh, UC Santa Barbara uh, Jonathan Schuler, you know, we work with him as well. Uh, there are different tests that can show that people who meditate can concentrate much longer, so-called sustained attention. Uh, so you can do better at your job, at whatever you do, by training your mind to focus uh, for long periods of time. And also let's talk about a little bit the long-term benefits in relationship to aging and the brain. Um, because I thought one of the things you had talked about was so interesting, and I think it may have come up in the part of in, in part of the um, Tai Chi where you might hold hold a movement or hold your breath for a moment and send more oxygen to your brain. But then the idea that the study showed that you are sort of keeping your blood vessels in the brain flexible and that that for Yeah. Um big impact on aging. Right, right, right. Um, that experiment you're referring to is uh, measuring you know, blood flow and blood utilization in the brain, uh, photon migration spectroscopy. I was just talking about that. 
That's my favorite, my favorite measuring device so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if your if your listeners need to get one, it costs uh, half a million dollars. <laughs> so, any case, um, what we found was this: that when you do advanced breathing techniques, you don't just breathe, you know, deeply and slowly. Uh, you also have a breath-holding phase in there. So you breathe in, hold, and then breathe out. And I never understood, you know, what's the holding good for? So what we found was uh, during the holding phase, the blood oxygen level actually goes up. Well, that's strange. So what happens is um, the body has a self preservation, you know, principle there. When you don't have enough oxygen in the body, which part of the body is the most important and you should save that, you know, part of the body? Well, that's the brain. So if you hold your breath, uh, the oxygen level all over the, you know, in the blood goes down. And as a signal of that, the brain capillaries will dilate so that there's less resistance up in the brain, so more blood rushes to the brain to preserve the brain. And as a result, when you hold your your breath, uh, your mind actually clears up um, more than usual uh, because you have more blood up there. So uh, this only happens if your blood vessels are flexible uh, because you need to dilate the blood vessels. And this work done... Uh, uh, elsewhere, showing that um, older people, when they hold their breath, you know, they don't get this effect because their um, their their blood vessels are up in the brain and every place else are getting more and more rigid. And then we did a pilot experiments. We measured uh, a number of uh, people who practiced qigong for many years, uh, who were in the sixties and so forth. You know. And uh, they maintain the elasticity in the brain as indicated by this type of measurement. That uh, when they hold their breath, you know, we can see an increase in blood flow going to the brain. Uh, something you don't see with uh, the, the comparison of professors uh, in the 60s who don't do that, who don't practice uh, meditation and breathing and qigong. So let's focus on those masters for a moment. Um, just because I think that the... I'm so excited about the evidence-based data versus just the anecdotal that you've created on the mind, body, and movement and breath connection. And with the masters, it takes it one further level as far as just with intention alone that these Qigong and Tai Chi masters are able to uh, boost their photon output into a certain area of the body? Um, that is difficult just with intention alone. Uh, well, they're, mo they're moving, th right. So they're, they're, they're moving and breathing and intention. <laughs> very few people could do that. But, but if they, after they do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, Qigong qi is uh, an exercise that integrates um, mind, body, and breathing. So the, when you talk about Qigong or Tai Chi, you have to regulate all three, integrated regulation of the mind, the body, and the 
respiration. So I want to talk just in our, our last couple of minutes about maybe coming full circle um, to the idea that of this vital energy and, and what it is and how we know it's there and how we measure it. Um, Einstein had said everything is energy and then there are many studies about maybe talking to plants or playing music to plants, um, using muscle testing to find resonance in the body with um, energies from something without and within or that your body might need, or Reiki healers that move energy to heal and send energy to certain parts of the body to heal. And I was thinking about um, synesthesia, something I had done a story on a couple years ago, and that's people who don't experience synesthesia would think that people who are talking about it were probably crazy, that when they hear music, they're seeing colors. And I'm wondering what you're having done a lot of research in this area. Your perception is about the variation of experience and perception of chi for the individual. Well, um, so first, um, when you do qigong and tai chi, uh, your body feels warm, your fingers feel tingly, it's increased blood flow. Uh, increased blood flow, you feel warmth, of course. Uh, increased uh, light emission, you know, that's something that you cannot really feel or see. Uh, but the whole thing about the electrical field going up, uh, when your electrical flow goes up, your electrical field goes up, you know, that's something that you can actually touch and feel. Uh, you know, in dry weather, you know, when you get an electrical shock, you know, when you take off your sweater or comb your hair, that's electrical field. Um, so when somebody has um, his hand, you know, within an inch of your hand, you feel like something It's more than heat, it's electrical field. So uh, maybe to finish off, uh, I mentioned earlier that we did some collaborative experiments at uh, the City University of Hong Kong, and we exposed cells grown on a plate, so there's no placebo effect. The cells are growing on a plate, and we put a DC electric field using a battery at the same level that uh, a human hand could put out. And what we found was uh, it has profound effects on the cells in directing the cells to go this way or that way, depending on the polarity, and different cells behave differently, different types of cancer cells behave differently. So cells certainly react to a DC electric field uh, at the range that the body might put out. So we're quite excited about that. Uh, this is something we could measure, we could see, we could take a video and so forth. And as I said, the paper is coming out it does come full circle to your to your earlier work. I knew it would. And what would be the machine then in, in your greatest imagination that you'd like to create in the future and with your work for the future to be able to, to demonstrate? Actually, we are validating uh, a number of electrical devices that are already in the marketplace uh, using electrical field to enhance uh, bone growth, soft tissue growth, uh, these are FDA-approved instruments that have been used for some time. Uh, we're just like, you know, putting relevance in terms of uh, how they uh, are consistent with, uh, you know, traditional Chinese medicine theories and principles. These instruments are already out in the marketplace. So relevance and validation. 
Yes. I was thinking, I recently heard a uh, story about um, this NASA and finding potential for life on other planets. And I was struck by the idea that it's not that these didn't exist before. It's that now we have the mechanism with which to see it and to validate it. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on That Got Me Thinking. It was really enlightening to speak with you and encouraging. It's, it's my pleasure anytime.